Are you interested in learning more about how to start your Salesforce career? Be sure to register for our next live webinar showing you exactly how the Salesforce Career Development Program works, our latest statistics, and up-to-date information about what's going on in the Salesforce ecosystem. To register now, head over to talentstacker.com forward slash live. That's talentstacker.com forward slash L-I-V-E. We look forward to seeing you on the next live webinar. I will always be bullish that there is no better career than a Salesforce career. This has served me well, and I think it will continue to serve others well. Hi, I'm Anita Smith. I'm Bradley Rice. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to the, the Salesforce, Salesforce for Everyone podcast. In today's show, Brad takes the wheel in our very first single host episode to talk about what makes Salesforce careers so secure. You have skills that actually make businesses successful, and that's all you really need to focus on. Also, our guest shares some of the wisdom she's gained from 20 years of economic ups and downs. Even if I was the first to go, I knew that I had so many more opportunities than people that were in more traditional careers. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Salesforce for Everyone podcast. In today's episode, I think you're really going to enjoy it because we're going to be talking about a topic that I think is a major point of contention right now, given what's going on in the world. And we're going to be hitting some tough topics like the recession, tech layoffs, and how Salesforce careers weather the storm, and what you should keep in mind as you're going through those conversations with yourself and with others who are looking to start their Salesforce careers. Today with me, I do not have Anita Smith. For the first time ever on the show, we do not have Anita Smith. She's too busy closing on her first home, so she's going to miss out on an amazing conversation. But we are going to have an incredible guest. She has over 20 years of experience in the Salesforce space. She has worked in a variety of roles and actually just wrote a Salesforce book called Rock Your Role as a Salesforce Admin. And I would like to introduce to you today, Jody Herbick. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So glad to be here. Bummed I'm missing Anita, but woot woot for her. That's a big milestone. Yeah. So, you, you know, I think there's a lot of ways we can start this off. But I think I, really the first thing is I want to make sure that the listeners understand that, you know, given that I, I would consider myself somewhat biased to the Salesforce ecosystem. And also, I would not consider myself an expert on how Salesforce fares through a recession. Because, you know, in 2008, I, I'm 33 right now. So, Whatever I was up to in 2008, probably finishing up high school, maybe starting college. So I don't really know what was going on there, really. As an adult, I had no big responsibilities at that time. And then if you go back to 2000, you know, that the one time period, like the tech crash, I don't think I really had any idea that that even happened uh, other than like reading about it in a textbook. So I'm not the best one. Like, admittedly, I'm not the best person to give perspective on this topic. And so without you here, I don't think we have really the ability to talk about this in an educated way from an experience. So if you don't mind talking a little bit about your background, what your career has looked like, and sort of what you're up to today. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And, you know, I'm by no means an expert in economic cycles or in Salesforce as an organization, but I do have the benefit of perspective. And so that's really what I can share with you today that I'm 20 years into the Salesforce career and continue to be bullish. You know, I have for years tried to talk every friend, family member, 
Uber driver that I've come across as to getting into a Salesforce role in some capacity. And the reason is it served me well. So yes, I would love to chat a little bit about it. So I think it's important to say I'm not a technologist because a lot of people think that that's something that's imperative to get into the Salesforce world. I started my career, I did nonprofits for a couple of years after college, but mostly started my professional career in sales roles. I worked for the Walt Disney Corporation and did selling of their cable programming channels and was a sales trainer. So I would go into cable organizations and teach them how to ask the questions as it pertains to um, if somebody was a good fit for the product. And then got wooed over to the wild side at the time. Cable was old news back in 2000. There was this thing called the internet. So I had a front row seat for both the dot-com boom and the dot-com bust. I worked for a company that would have been, you know, 1999 to 2001, right smack in the middle of it. We made websites. And in that sales role, I had to help people understand why did they need a website? After all, they had yellow pages. And some people on this call might not even remember what yellow pages are. But at the time, websites were that new. And I ended up, um, because at the time when we first started, finding people was a more difficult challenge. People to, to build the websites was a more difficult challenge than finding clients. During that boom time, I ended up taking my sales skills and moving over to a recruiting department and working on, you know, how can we convince people to come and work for us? And the through line here is this is where I had the first opportunity to actually use a software application that I needed to help me run my recruiting business. And at the time, we didn't call it software as a service. We called it an application service provider, ASP, which was just a, a fancy, I guess, probably early, early name of the same concept that this wasn't something that we installed on premise. We were using somebody else's software, but it was it was very difficult to use. It was very difficult to customize. It was not a great experience, but that stuck with me as I ultimately got into the Salesforce space. So what happened is it was almost overnight. I can remember literally like a week where instead of me making outbound calls to candidates, suddenly I was getting calls from people that I had been trying to recruit. Hey, I might be available after all. And you could just almost feel it. It was that sudden. And so thus the beginning of the, the dot-com bust, as they called it. And really what it all meant is we all just shifted our, our purpose and our perspective. And that's what happens at these times. You know, we didn't need a big recruiting department anymore, but we needed instead to find partners and alliance channels. So I switched over to that role inside the organization and why that was particularly relevant in my career history. It was the first time that I actually used Salesforce as an end user. So probably somewhere around 2000, 2001. And I can tell you it was a very different tool than it is today. And we today talk about the term CRM, customer relationship management. That, that wasn't the problem we were trying to solve. That wasn't even a thing back then. What we were really trying to do was kind of twofold. One was replace this clunky thing called a Rolodex that used to sit on our desk and hold business cards 
and we would need to, you know, share them across team members and needed a way to get all of that into one place. And then most important, what Salesforce was really, you know, doing for us was helping us replace what used to be spreadsheets that we used to roll up every Friday or every end of the month. Every person had to roll one up to their boss who rolled it up to their boss. And the challenge that we always had back then was by the time it got wherever it needed to go, two days had passed and it was already outdated. So we never had real-time sales data. So this was when I first got exposed to Salesforce and was like, ooh, this is a tool that's helpful. And I kind of tucked that back into the back of my head as I continued. So I'm going to take a pause there, Brad, because I feel like I've been talking for, for nonstop and see before I keep going if there's any questions that that raises. No. So this is fascinating to, to me, at least. I don't know how everyone else feels. I love this because I don't know if you know this, but I actually wanted to be a high school economics teacher when I came out of college. And I actually went to college and got a degree in economics. And I actually got a second degree in education because I wanted to combine those two passions, really, and do a career with that. And I could not find a job as a high school economics teacher. And I tried to pivot over to being a math teacher and I couldn't find a job doing either one. I just wanted to get my foot in the door. So in reality, I absolutely love the idea of how the economy performs over a period of time and what impact that has on real people and what we can learn from these perspectives and sort of what's happened throughout these cycles and and how people move through these cycles. So I, I think it's really interesting. So you're looking at that early 2000s period. Really, that's when Salesforce was, I mean, you were probably one of the first, I don't know, a few thousand people to even be aware of Salesforce as a tool. And given it's not what it is today, because in my opinion, having been in the space for, you know, right around 12 years now, you know, right out of college in 2010 is when I got into Salesforce and had no idea what it was. And just the innovation that has occurred between 2010 and 2022 has been astronomical, just the way the platform has shifted. I, I can't imagine how it shifted from, you know, early 2000 to 2010 and what, what I missed out on, right? So it's, it's amazing to see that. So you're coming through, like you mentioned, the dot-com boom. And then shortly after the the bust, and what happens with a tool like Salesforce? Because the podcast is all about Salesforce, right? Like we're we're interested in other technologies, and I'm sure we could go for days. But what happened during that time period? Because this was a time period when tech companies were specifically hurting from what was happening in that industry. So, I, I mean, what what do you see happen with Salesforce, and how does your career continue? Because obviously, we know now you're writing incredible books about how to be a better Salesforce professional. You are you know, recognized as a top tier Salesforce professional. So how do you go from, I kind of know what it is. I'm aware that it can improve efficiencies for the work that I'm doing to where you are today. Yeah. So this is where it gets fun. <laughs> what I shared so far was really just the background, right? Yeah. So I'm going to fast forward about a year. And at this point, it's probably 2002. And by the way, as it pertains to the question of like, hey, dot-com bus boom, where was Salesforce? They weren't even really part of that, right? I mean, they kind of came into being after the fact. They were just getting spun up. So truth be told, you know, this whole concept of dot-com boom, dot-com bust was a little bit almost in the rearview mirror as they were coming up. So fast forward a year, I find myself working for a large company that essentially got created overnight, right? This was a time where there was a lot of change taking place. Some folks might 
be familiar with what we call the big four consulting firms and may or may not know that we used to talk about the big five, that there used to actually be a fifth one called Arthur Anderson that due to a a variety of reasons ended up overnight kind of going out of business. And with that, uh, about 3,000 people that had been part of that organization formed a new company. And I found myself in a role where they had brought me in to help them develop sales culture, sales infrastructure, sales training. And as we started getting this company up and running and needing to have something that didn't require a lot of IT, because we were, we were a brand new company that needed it yesterday, I said, oh, you know, I've used this thing before, right? Remember, it goes back. I'd been an end user of this very precursory Salesforce implementation. I said, I think it might be useful for us. So lo and behold, I ended up in that role, standing up what I would call my first quote unquote enterprise Salesforce implementation, keeping in mind very different than it is today. So just for some perspective, we had somewhere around 300 users, which at the time we were a very large customer. We were also one of the very first enterprise edition customers, which had just come out. So right now there's lots of things kind of bigger and better, but at the time that was kind of a big deal. But I'll share a couple stories just to let everybody understand how far Salesforce has come, because certainly today it's a very different tool, right? So back then we only had a few different, what we call custom objects or data tables. We didn't have all these different clouds. And at the time, if you wanted to report on this or that, you actually just ran two reports. Here's this and here's that. (laughs) There wasn't an or filter. So I, I always just like to share that to say, you know, much like, you know, all of us individually, we come from humble beginnings and have to get better day by day. Salesforce did too as an organization. So for everyone out there putting ideas on the Salesforce Idea Exchange... Just know (laughs) your ideas are nothing compared to, imagine your idea being, can we get an or filter on a report? All right. All right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Right. So that's a true story. And I'll, I'll tell you, you know, a few other just funny stories, you know, just to give you a sense of how different the technology was at the time. We needed a way to share our data. We had kind of a complex matrix data model and Salesforce didn't have the capabilities to do it at the time. And this was before there was this concept of Apex code, which is something that for folks unfamiliar that you can run inside of the Salesforce platform to customize it beyond just kind of point and click. This didn't exist yet, but there was this concept of something called an S control, but it required a server that you actually had to run this on. And we were challenged with figuring out how we were going to do this. We didn't have a server. And an intern that I had said, I think I think I can figure out how to code this and literally ended up building something. And he ran it every night in his college dorm until we actually got this up and running. So, you know, we, we definitely in the early days were working with some different tool sets than we have today. But I'll I'll tell you, because I think this is a really important part of the story, it ended up that it was such a a success that somebody like me, again, not a technologist, a business user, somebody that had previously tried to use an application service provider, not with much success, that I was able to very quickly kind of build out the CRM. It proved so successful that we also needed a way to spin up a recruiting org because the company was having a lot of success and growing very quickly. And so 
we ended up building a second instance of Salesforce that we use to manage all of our recruiting processes. And it was a, like today, that's a fairly standard use case. Um, and in fact, for folks that have taken their Salesforce certification exam, you'll probably recognize some of those questions because that's a use case that they talk a lot about in the cert. But in 2002, it was definitely a pretty forward-looking kind of use of the platform. And it ended up getting me a job in Salesforce that I was asked frequently to demo it and show it and ended up getting uh, recruited by Salesforce to go work there which I I did for four years. So I have some perspective there as well. I think that's really interesting. So yeah, so we'll, we will definitely get into that. And I think that'll progress us. That, that four-year time period is really going to take us to, you know, I think the overarching theme of this episode is going to become how we should look at the history of how Salesforce has moved. And I think the things you're talking about and, and the things I've experienced as well in the last, you know, 10 or 12 years is that Salesforce is one of the most innovative companies that I've seen, but as consumers, we don't see it as vividly. Like if you just heard about Salesforce today, you don't really understand the innovations that they've gone through in the last, you know, 20 years because we're focused on maybe the innovations of what our phones are capable of and what a mobile phone is capable of. And Salesforce very much has been that level of innovative, but for the back end of a business and how a business operates and the ability to automate things and have all of these reports and dashboards and everything connected in one place at the the tip of your fingers. And it's been incredible for businesses to scale, to become more efficient, to become more productive, but you can have the best business in the world and you can have the best business ideas in the world. But if you're not operating a ship that is financially sound, a recession can still have an insane impact on your business, even though you have the most amazing leadership and the greatest ideas and the coolest products ever. It can have really real impact. So I think, you know, getting closer. So let's say the dot-com bust is sort of in the rearview mirror by the time Salesforce is really finding its feet. So it's not majorly impacted. But then as we take ourselves forward and we've had all these innovations and we're, we're getting closer to this 07, 08 time period of the housing market crash, how does Salesforce make its way, I guess, where where was it entering into that point? And what did you experience with, I guess, your career going through that time period? Because I know a lot of people, you know, I think my parents did pretty well. My, my dad had a government job and then we were running a cattle farm, which saw absolutely no impact. Like we could care less what's happening with the market. Like people still need meat and life goes on. So we weren't impacted as directly, but I had friends who their parents were cashing out their 401ks to pay the mortgage and you know selling the family car and getting down to just a beater car to get through tough times and i remember seeing that and not really fully comprehending it because i think still at that time i was you know maybe a senior in high school so i was seeing it but it wasn't all that important i didn't understand all the stress and responsibility that went into those decisions and it wasn't just something you woke up and did on monday it was a, it was a really big deal so being that, you know, I think you had a front seat to watch what was going on during that time period. What was that like? Because I think people want to compare it. And I don't know if today, and maybe you can shed some light on that too, is today comparable at all to what was happening during that time period? And then how does Salesforce handle that time period? Yeah. So, you know, again, I what I can share with you is my experience of of kind of what I saw. And the reason it's important to kind of follow this progression of where Salesforce started and then where it was at this point is 
you know, it had legs already by then, right? It's starting to be integrated inside businesses. And so while there is certainly challenges at the time, it was a cash crunch, right? The credit market dried up. That was the problem at the time. So certainly there were likely companies that were challenged with how they were going to buy new things, take care of their various and assorted cash needs. The truth of the matter was it was already embedded inside a lot of companies and it was a tool that allowed them to operate. And so what actually happens in, I'm going to say times like this, I don't, I don't think we're anywhere near where we were back then, by the way, to answer the question just from, from my vantage point. But what happens is this is actually when people double down, right? We double down on our clients and making sure that we're identifying the white spaces and really selling to all corners of the organization. We double down on our customer service. We make sure that the customers that we've worked so hard to acquire that we don't lose and that they're you know happy and taken care of and maybe we can even grow them during this time period. We double down on our operations and make things more efficient. And so what I experienced is certainly, you know, people that were probably in sales roles had challenging time getting perhaps new customers at that particular moment. But I actually had hung out my shingle, you know, not knowing obviously where things were heading and ended up having more business than I knew what to do with, even as a freelancer, for all of these reasons. People had Salesforce. It was already by then a critical factor in how their business operated. And if anything, they needed to tweak it, iterate it, and make sure that you know the things that it was supporting were working at operational effectiveness in order to make that happen. It's really interesting, you know, something you bring up and like, finally, I feel like we, we've made it to a point in time where I feel like I'm at least somewhat aware of what's happening in, in the world and, and how Salesforce functions and how ingrained it is into businesses. And I don't think a lot of people fully, even many Salesforce professionals, I don't think they fully understand how serious having a Salesforce platform is at your company and having your business operate off of this as a business owner having the idea of, I'm just going to pivot from Salesforce to another tool. I'm going to start using something. To, it's not that simple. And you have to keep in mind that you know if you're maybe the CTO and you're in charge of technology and sort of the infrastructure that the company's using and the direction they're going, it may be an, a little bit easier decision to say, hey, let's get a demo of some other products. But as the actual people, say if it's a public company, the board members that are, uh, are, are those that are you know, getting profit shares, and I guess even with a private company at that point, you don't want to rock the boat in such a tremendous way. Like You're talking your marketing processes, your sales processes, your support processes, a lot of time your, your financial reporting even. like There's so much built into this one tool. And disrupting that could have, you know, it could be great. But it could also have like a catastrophic effect on your business, the happiness of your employees, the happiness of the management, your actual revenue. It's not worth touching a tool like this. So when I hear people say, for instance, like Infusionsoft seems like a great tool. Why don't you just switch to that and try it out? And it's like, you don't just switch your entire business's backend platform to another tool just to try it out and see what happens. It's not like going from Verizon to AT&T and being like, the service isn't what I thought it was. I guess I'll go back to Verizon. It's not that simple. The, these companies are in, ingrained in this. And to your point, I love what you said about 
when times get tough, yes, you, you know, it might be hard to acquire new customers for some period of time and you have to weather that storm. But what you're really doing is really tightening up and providing the best possible support and the best possible product and services to the customers that you're already serving. And I think anytime you do that, it, it allows you to make those businesses more successful and is likely going to drive the longevity of their happiness and therefore your success as a company. So it's really interesting to see that coming into today because I think we are going to see a lot of that right now. And then of course, you know, coming over the next few months, depending on the direction things go, I think we're going to see that as well. And, and I think a lot of times companies are forced to tighten up and sort of take a step back and go, I'm not sure what the next quarter is going to hold. So I'm just going to, I'm going to press pause for just a second here. And that's when you'll see topics like hiring freezes. It's not because anybody's in dire straits. It's because we're, we're just kind of saying, well, let's, let's see for a second where things are going. Let's get a handle on the situation, just like consumer economics. So like your personal finances, you might just say for now, yeah, we, we kind of wanted to buy a new car, but let's just drive the used car for a second before we buy the new car. Let's just see where things are going. Let's eat at home just a little bit more often right now. And let's just see where things are going. It's not that you're in dire straits. It's not that your home's about to be foreclosed on. It's that you're trying to make a little bit more conservative financial decisions while you make sure you have a good hold on where things are. So yeah, any thoughts on, I, I guess, anything that comes to mind, you know, going through that? Yeah. So I, I think you hit on a couple of things. One is the secret sauce of Salesforce is how sticky it is. Exactly to your point, that switching cost is challenging. And it is such a critical part of so many businesses that it's not a nice to have at this point. It's, it's a must have and continuing to support, not support and iterate the software per se, but continue to tweak the tool to meet the iterating needs of the business. Those are two really different things. You know, that that need is always there because as these cycles come and go for, for all the reasons we just talked about, or, you know, and then you think as well, you know, this is a time where people are divesting themselves of part of the business that doesn't work. Guess what? You need Salesforce work for that. Or, hey, maybe you're one of the lucky ones and you're keeping your eyes open for an opportunity to, to buy parts of businesses at this time. Guess what? You need Salesforce for that. So I think all of those things are very true. As well, I think it's really important to note that, you know, there's a lot of companies now. We, we still think about Salesforce as CRM and Sales Cloud and Service Cloud because they're the biggest ones. But when you really look at all of the products and particularly how much the footprint has expanded into so many different industries, take the health cloud, for instance, or education cloud or the public sector cloud. Those really are designed to be operational platforms. You know, those things are not cyclical. City government, municipalities, they don't come and go based on how the economy is going. That is just simply how the work of governing or the work of healthcare or the work of an educational institution gets done. So I think that's also important to note. Um, I thought it might be helpful to, to share a story with you just because, again, having seen this perspective. So 10 years ago, I was trying to recruit a former colleague of mine into the Salesforce space. She was somebody that I had worked with, and she's what we call a super user, which in the Salesforce world means she doesn't have admin credentials, but she is smarter than the average bear, if you will, as it pertains to reports and dashboards, and she helped the Salesforce team a lot. And she had just gone through a layoff, and she was 
very reluctant because it felt like this was risky to get into technology as she thought about it. And I knew for sure, because again, I'd already had a 10-year perspective at this point. So I already could say with great confidence, having weathered you know, what happened in 08, 09, that this was essentially what I believed to be a fairly recession-proof career move. So what I told to her at that point is I said, I can't guarantee that you'll never be unemployed because stuff happens inside any individual company, right? But at the macro level, as long as you nail this and you develop a reputation as a rock star, you will always have options. You will never be unemployed for long unless you choose to be. You will never be hungry. You'll never be in that, you know, experience where you're you're really struggling and you're going to go into it with much, I'm going to say, more full coffers than you would have if you stay where you were. And sure enough, I wooed her over to the wild side, as we say. She, you know, almost doubled her salary from where she was in a matter of probably two years. And twice in the last 10 years, she has been in situations where things happen inside a company when, once her company was sold. Second time she was part of a layoff. And, you know, I was true to my word in that I couldn't get her fast enough both times. I mean, I went and as soon as I heard that was trying to get her over, you know, come back and work for me. And she was already fielding offers. And, and I think that's the reality. So I never want to negate the experience. There are going to be individuals that are going to be impacted, you know, now or future because things happen inside organizations. So we're, we're not saying that, but the difference is the skill set that you get, the demand for those skills all of the different kinds of companies that need those skills are so broad, it means you really mitigate the risk of different kinds of careers where you're tied to an industry or you're tied to one particular skill set. So that's why I'm so bullish. I could agree on like every topic plus. I mean, and I, I think one thing to really hone in on is that we, we were talking about how sticky Salesforce is and it's like, okay, cool. You know, for people looking for careers, it's like that, that's great. And to really drive that connection home, it's that as a Salesforce professional, you are absolutely necessary. Like when we talk about individuals who are absolutely needed at the business, if there's a business that is utilizing Salesforce, one of the last people they can say, we don't need this person anymore is their Salesforce professionals because you're looking at the individual who understands the data and how the business functions from start to finish. They're able to see the trends, understand what's ha- is the business moving forward? Is it moving backwards? It's fine. There, there's certain data points like, uh, for instance, I remember learning in my consulting career that I, I was just surprised at how many companies didn't look at revenue as the indicator for the health of the company. And I just thought, of course, it's revenue. You just want to look at how much money you're making. And then you might go, oh, well, no, Brad, it's profits. And it's like, okay, they're not even looking at profits. What they're looking at typically is new customer count. They want to know how many new customers, because you could have increased profits because you are bleeding your existing customer base dry with upsells and new products and increased prices and this and that. But if you don't have a steady flow of new customers, the end of your growth is on its way. So you always have to have new customers moving into the business. And those are concepts that 
the Salesforce professional is the one who's going to run those reports and see new customer counts month over month and quarter over quarter and report that to management and let them know what things are looking at and go to marketing and say, hey, you, you guys did XYZ initiatives in 2021 and 2022. And year over year, this is the impact we're seeing on new customer count and profits from those initiatives. And these are the things we should continue to do going into next year or that we should maybe not do going into next year because we're not seeing the ROI on those initiatives. And it goes way deeper than that. Those are just high level examples. I mean, just getting down to if you're being audited, who's going to pull the data? Who's going to explain how the automations work when they're saying, hey, why did these fields get updated automatically? What made those processes happen? You're the only person in the business who truly understands how to get to that information. And that's why even if you're looking at a company with a thousand employees and that they might be being acquired or they might even be going completely bankrupt. You're likely going to be one of the last few people at that company if you want to be. But the truth of the matter is you're, you're going to quit and jump to another company with better stability way before it ever gets to that point because you're in control of your career. And to Jody's point, all of these skills that you have, I mean, I had so many people, you know, especially since starting Talent Stacker, wanting to understand, rightfully so, wanting to understand the stability of Salesforce careers. And they would say, well, it's a, it's a tech company and we see tech companies come and go. So what's going to happen when Salesforce isn't around anymore? And I just thought, and I've always thought, and I still believe this, that it's not so much that you're Salesforce certified or that you're a Salesforce expert. What you are is you are an expert on databases, on analyzing data, on streamlining business processes and understanding really what makes businesses successful. And once you do this for a few years, I don't care if you want to start your own business, you're going to be better at that because you're going to understand businesses. Or if you want to go hop on board with the newest technology platform that businesses are using, guess who they're going to be trying to recruit? All the Salesforce talent that's moving away from Salesforce into whatever that next thing is. So you are still going to be the most marketable, most skilled, you know, most indispensable talent on the market because you have skills that actually make businesses successful. And that's all you really need to focus on. So that's sort of my two cents on why, even if you saw that Salesforce was, and we are not seeing that, like Salesforce is on the up and up, just go look at their employee accounts and their revenue numbers, like they're on the up and up. But even if you did, you, you don't work for Salesforce. You're not an owner of Salesforce. You are, an, you know, I, I think a very, very talented and skilled individual who could work for any company anywhere. Spot on. I was actually going to say something very similar, which is echoing as well that, you know, by no means is, is there a competitor looming in the horizon that's going to take Salesforce down? If anything, we just continue to see it go up. But you're exactly right that the type of skills, and it's a broad range too, which by the way, we, we haven't really talked about this. The other reason that I'm so bullish on Salesforce is not only because I think it is essentially a recession-proof career, but I really do believe there's something for everybody. There's a flavor of a Salesforce career for everybody. And it is such a broad spectrum. Um, you know, I waited tables for all during college, so I still use that vernacular. I call it front of the house and back of the house, right? And, you know, there's a lot of need for skills and people that excel in the front of the house, which is your business analyst skills and your working with end user skills and your training and facilitation skills and 
all of those things that involves how we communicate with our stakeholders. Like those are front of the house skills and they're so critical. Then there's back of the house skills, right? You know, there are people that want to go deep under the hood and, you know, learn about the logic and the automation and, you know, all of that. And there's everything in between, by the way, it's like a Venn diagram that there's this stuff in the middle that everybody does, but you know, that's just the what. And then you extrapolate that to the where we've already talked about the broad range of industries. You know, there's small startups that use Salesforce, in which case you can be kind of a solo admin and a jack of all trades and you do all of it. Some people thrive in that environment. There's huge enterprises that use it in a much more kind of strategic way where it's a a much more kind of standardized, if you will, rigorous team where you are responsible just for your piece. A lot of people love that and there's everything in the middle. So I'm bullish that you can find your fit. You can find what lights you up. You can try different things and, you know, the world's going to change. I've seen it change a lot over 20 years, but, you know, the beauty of this is you're not locked into doing it a certain way or in a certain place that, you know, we all need the ability to change and evolve. And this is a career that lets you do that. I love that. Like, and and like you said, with industries like me personally, that's what I loved coming into Salesforce consulting, especially was that I got to work for so many different types of companies and I knew about myself early on. Like even in high school, I was interested in concepts like early retirement. And the reason I was so interested in that is because I couldn't see myself doing anything for 40 years, just going like, man, like really, I'm just going to like, I'm literally going to do the same thing or something really similar for 40 years straight. Like I just can't see the reality in that and actually enjoying my day when I wake up Monday morning and go to work. Like I, I just can't envision that being a truth. And so, you know, even just, I I believe in the first three years that I was in Salesforce consulting, I got to work for medical companies, software companies, finance companies, real estate companies, like just anything and everything in between. And it was challenging because I would walk into a room full of people who were quote unquote experts on the real estate business and how those processes worked. And I would have to learn that and then use my Salesforce skills to teach them how Salesforce was going to handle their processes and make their business more effective. And then going into, I had absolutely no hands-on experience with manufacturing. And I remember we had our, our requirement gathering session sitting in a room overlooking a manufacturing floor and they were just printing out signs, um, like these big signs that you would see staked outside of businesses and just looking down on these different patterns and they were printing and different colors. And, and it was wild to me. And I'm sitting up here watching that happen in real time while talking to the business management about sales and marketing and how we're going to make sure that these people down here have you know stable careers and that they have a job going into next year and that things are on the up and up and not questionable. And it was just amazing to get that level of exposure and figuring out what do I enjoy? What do I like? What types of businesses do I really thrive in? What types of you know companies do I really enjoy working with and, and the processes they work with? And I think also to your point, a lot of people coming from passion careers, say like healthcare or education, there's a place for everyone. They go like, well, if I'm not with these students all day and getting to see them grow as individuals more than I ever see them grow as intellects, I get to see them grow as humans and just people and members of society. How am I going to have that level of impact if I'm just out working as a tech professional? And there are companies and there are communities 
that you can take those skills and still drive incredible impact if you want to work in nonprofit. That is a massive sector that Salesforce serves is the nonprofit sector. And there are companies, and not to mention the array of communities. Like when we talk about Ohana and just this concept that Salesforce professionals, a lot of them, not everybody, and if they don't want to be part of it, they don't have to be, but you will just see communities of people gathering for anywhere from people who are transitioning healthcare professionals to different minority groups, to different belief groups and gender groups, and just so many different people rallying around the fact that they're tech professionals. They really want to help each other with no strings attached, and they just want to have an impact on their community via the fact that they're Salesforce professionals. I mean, it's I've never seen anything like it, and I don't think I could be more fortunate to have basically tripped and fallen into more than just a career, more than just a, a skill set, but a true community, which I, I, I never would have guessed that it could be all those things. You know, it's funny. I, I still feel like I tripped and fell into my career, even though I've been doing it for 20 years. And, you know, for all the reasons that you have said, I was much like you, where I, you know, couldn't imagine what was going to keep me interested for 20 years. And the reason that I've been in the same space is, even though I've been doing, quote unquote, the same work, I've done it. You know, I say I've been in every seat around the table, right? My jobs have looked different. They've felt different. I've been able to work with different kinds of organizations. And so it was always able to to change along with, you know, my needs or where where I was in my particular career space. And I can't think of anything, anything else that would have given me this flexibility. And, you know, I can also just tell you from different jobs and roles that I've had, really much to what we were talking about earlier about the certainty that your skills are really critical when you run Salesforce is, you know, I've been in organizations that we knew were getting bought and sold and people were nervous because we know that that means change. I was never nervous, you know, not because it was me, because A, to your point, I knew I was going to be the last to go and B, even if I was the first to go, I knew that I had so many more opportunities than people that were in more traditional careers. It just has always been a fact, and that has been true for the last two decades that I've been doing this, that the demand for these skills, it might look different, right, in terms of what your exact title is or where you're doing it, but there's so much demand, and we expect the demand to continue. So I am a volunteer with the Salesforce Talent Alliance, so I lead a cohort of folks that are, you know, new into the industry. So get to talk a lot about some of the expectations, you know, that Salesforce is seeing in terms of the skill gaps. And I don't have any reason to believe that what I've seen over the last 10 years is going to change. And if anything, it feels like the demand is getting bigger that, you know, 10 years ago, we weren't being as aggressive as an ecosystem to recruit people in. And now you know, recruiting companies are, you know, doing free training. Consulting companies are doing free training. We can't work hard enough to bring people in. And and that speaks to the ongoing demand. And there's nothing on the horizon that indicates that that's going anywhere. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, when when I get to talk to people who work at Salesforce, especially in sort of talent growth, that that's always the conversation. It's like, we can't get enough people certified. We can't get enough people qualified 
free resources like Trailhead and you know so many other free resources as well. But just there's so much here that they are just trying to drive new people. And hopefully through you know podcasts like this, we can get the word out like that there's a talent shortage. You, you know we're we're nowhere close to being in a position where the demand for the, the the candidates are being filled by the number of applicants coming in the door because you could have a stack of 100 applications, but the fact is most of those people are not qualified to do the work. They may not even be certified. And if they are certified, they just don't have exposure to understand what's actually needed at these businesses. And I was going to share like a really quick story because I don't know if she would be comfortable with me sharing her name. So I'll make it quick. But we had one individual who came through Talent Stacker and she was employed for, I believe, about nine months. And she got laid off because it was a startup. Honestly, they just didn't manage their business finances properly. They made some really poor choices back to back and the company went under and she got laid off. And in two weeks, 14 days, she had seven interviews and three job offers in two weeks. So someone with nine months of experience had that level of recourse to go, I'm in a position and don't get me wrong. Like she was scared to death. Like, oh my gosh, did I just make a horrible decision? Am I in trouble? Is this going to work out? And I'm sure for the first week, she was like, I don't know what's going to happen. And then by the end of week two, she was employed and she got a $25,000 pay raise going from the first job to the second job. Like it's incredible, the opportunity that exists here. I think even if you're, if you're listening to this in early 2023, or you're listening to this in 2025 and the economy's booming and things are great at any point, whether we're going through a down cycle or an up cycle. I think you're going to find that just these skills and this career path is going to be an incredible demand. Um, so hopefully that helps put people at ease. This career has served me well, and I think it will continue to serve others well. I do feel somewhat obligated because sometimes I feel like we make it sound too good to be true. And so, you know, if nothing else, I'm a, I'm a pragmatist and a realist. And I like to say, I will always be bullish that there is no better career than a Salesforce career. I'm particularly partial to the in-house admin role, which is why I wrote a book about it. But it's not a magic bullet. Like I want to be really clear. It's hard because there's a lot you need to know, right, to get good at it. So I think it's really important to, you know, go in eyes wide open. The opportunities are there, but it is a job that will be a challenge in the sense that if you think you're going to, you know, phone it in, don't do it, right? That it is always changing. It's always innovating. And you need to be an expert both in the application or whatever part of the application you're responsible for, the business that you're supporting, whether that be client or in-house. You need to, you know, continue to upskill your, your soft skills, how you communicate in order to be effective. So, you know, 100%, is it the best job? Absolutely. But I would be negligent if I didn't say, you're going to work, you're going to work hard, but you're going to get rewarded in having a sustainable career that's going to serve you well and give you lots of optionality. Yeah, I 100% agree. Like entry-level salaries add just over $70,000 for Talent Stacker alumni. If you think that you're just going to walk into companies and they're just shelling out $70,000 paychecks left and right, you got to prove yourself. You're going to have to put in the work. Once you get the job, you are going to be challenged. And that's my, I mean, that's the thing that keeps me around. I think that is the most exciting. I don't want to 
sit at a desk and chill and not have anything to do and you know twiddle my thumbs and, and wait for five o'clock. I don't want to do that. I want to be excited about the work I'm doing. So if you're interested in learning more about you know what Salesforce careers look like and what you can expect and how you can be an incredible Salesforce professional, I highly, and I mean, I, I truly mean this, like coming from me, I don't, yeah, I can say this for a fact. There is no other book that I recommend, period. There's no other Salesforce book that I recommend. I know people love books. I know people have a, a list of Salesforce books that they would recommend. I truly mean this when I say it. The only Salesforce book that I recommend reading is Rock Your Role as a Salesforce Admin that Jody wrote. She, if you can't tell from this episode, is incredibly knowledgeable, incredibly talented, and has a track record that proves that she actually knows what she's talking about. And I'll tell you this book, I wish I had had it when I started my Salesforce career because there are so many just gems of information about how you can actually improve yourself with actionable steps as a Salesforce professional. It will make you a better professional. So make sure you check that out. And if you haven't already, make sure to head over to talentstacker.com forward slash start and get started with the free five-day challenge. That's going to walk you through how to get started with your Salesforce career and find out if it's something that you want to do. So thank you so much for joining us today, Jody. I mean, it, it really has been a pleasure. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you so much. And thank you for that nice endorsement of the book. It means a lot to me. So absolutely make sure you check out Jody's book, Rock Your Role as a Salesforce Admin. And we get a question a lot, like what is it really like? Like a day in the life of a Salesforce professional, what does it look like? And I can tell you that I think this book is really the answer to that question. It is going to give you that deep dive view into really picturing and imagining what it's going to be like, the types of problems you're going to be solving, the types of businesses and people that you're going to be interacting with. And you can really start to wrap your head around what it looks like to be a Salesforce professional. So whether you just landed a job recently, uh, you're a veteran professional, or you're still trying to work on landing that first job and understanding what it'll be like, I really do think this is a book for you. If you're getting value out of the podcast, we would really appreciate it if you would you know, share it with your friends and family and also subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on and be sure to leave us a review and some written feedback and let us know what you think. Also, this episode brings to a close season two of the Salesforce for Everyone podcast. We really hope you enjoyed season one and season two and make sure to hop into the Salesforce for Everyone Facebook group and comment when we post these episodes on LinkedIn and Facebook and anywhere you're listening and let us know what you'd like to see in season three and we will absolutely take that into consideration. So until the next episode, bye. Thank you for joining us today. To get started for free on your own Salesforce career, go to talentstacker.com forward slash start or check the show notes. There you'll find all the resources you need to start earning 60 to 80,000 in as little as eight months, no matter your education or career background. The Salesforce for Everyone podcast was produced by Edmund T and engineered by Andrew Mendonza. If you like what we do at this scrappy can-do podcast, please help others find us by leaving a five-star rating and a great review on whichever platform you're listening to us right now. See you next time.